Gina lit up another smoke as she looked out over the city. The Indian family sat huddled against the AC unit behind us. My head was throbbing like the walls of a warehouse rave, and my legs felt weak. Still got that migraine? Gina asked me. Huh? Oh. Uh, yeah, I replied. I leant my head against the safety railing and tried to breathe deep. A harrowing scream from the street below pulled me back to reality. Looking down, I saw a young man running for his life. Behind him, a large group carrying makeshift weapons, TVs, and other obviously looted goods. What the fuck is wrong with some people, Gina mumbled. A lot, I replied. I needed a plan. Things were obviously going to absolute shit out there. I paced around the perimeter of the rooftop, trying to come to grips with what was happening and how far the chaos had spread. Almost a block down from us, the tall building that had partially collapsed into the street was burning like a candle. One of the impacts must have sliced off the top few stories and the open end was alight. The street in front of us was cloaked in pockets of that dark fog and I knew it was already in the basement, but the laneway behind our building seemed clear. It looked like the bulk of the impacts had hit the centre of the city and out to the west towards the ocean, right between me where I wanted to be. Home. It was getting pretty dark, and it still looked like it might rain. Parts of the city seemed to have power still. There were lights on in some of the buildings, but large chunks were blacked out. The pub directly behind us in the lane still had juice, though. The lights were on downstairs, and there was a guy sitting on some milk crates on their roof as well. With a pint of beer in his hand, he looked up and gave me a little wave. Gina called out from where she and the others were sitting. Tom, come quick. I ran back over to them. The older Indian woman was propped up against the AC unit and wasn't looking very good. Her skin was pale and her breathing laboured. The younger woman was holding her hands and whispering something to her that I couldn't understand. The boy seemed to be in shock, sitting perfectly still in his stroller next to them. Is she okay? I asked, already knowing what the answer was. The younger woman just shook her head. Uh, My name is Tom, and this is Gina. She nodded and held her hand up to her chest. Sadia. Okay, Sadia. I'm going to go back down the stairs to our office and see if I can find us some supplies. We can't stay up here if we don't have anything to eat or drink. Is this your mother? She looks like she's struggling already. There's a first aid kit in our kitchenette. There might be something there to help. She just looked at me, tears welling in her eyes. English, she said. Not much. Okay, sure. Um, I'm going to go and look for water, I said, pretending to drink, and then pointing at her mother. Drink? She nodded. Yes, uh, drink good. Gina grabbed my arm as I stood up and whispered in my ear. Our floor should be empty, Tom. I was the last one to leave. But don't go down to ground level. I tried to get out through the foyer and it's... It's... She trailed off. Thanks, Gina. I'll be careful. She nodded. Here, take my card. I'm the fire warden. Mine will open the supply cupboard next to my office. There could be something useful in there. I took hers, 
and gave her mine, just in case. I carefully pulled the office chair away from the stairwell door and swiped to unlock it. Nothing. I shook the handle. It was still locked. Absent-mindedly, I I rubbed the swipe card on my shirt, as if that would do anything, and tried it again. Nothing. Fucking hell. Is the power out? Gina shook her head. No, the AC unit just kicked in again. The power's definitely on. Try it now. I swiped the card once more, and beep, it popped open. I remember the lights flickering in the basement. I think the power's going on and off, I called back to the others. I'm going to leave the chair in the doorway so it stays open, all right? No one answered. I stepped into the stairwell and left the chair blocking the door. I tried to move quietly, but the acoustics of the stairwell carried even the slightest sound up and down the floors in a reverberant wave. Our office was on the top floor of the building, so there were only two sets of stairs to the landing in front of the door, but it felt like a really long way. Each echoing step amplified my anxiety. When I got to the door, it was already slightly ajar. My heart rate doubled. Was it like that when we came up? I don't remember. I tried to reason with myself. Calm the fuck down, Tom. Gina said she was the last one out. She must have left the door open. You're okay. I don't think I believed me. Inside the office, things were much the same as they usually were except for a few telltale signs of a hasty exit. I quickly made my way through the maze of cubicles to the offices on the other side. Gina's was in the centre, flanked by the supply cupboard and CEO's office on the right, and the elevator doors and kitchenette were on the left. I went to the supply cupboard first. Swipe card worked. Inside was all manner of random office supplies, stacks of notepads, boxes of pens and pencils, and a big plastic jar full of those individually wrapped mints that no one ever eats. Useless. Down on the bottom shelf, though, was a large yellow plastic tub with safety gear scrawled on the lid in a permanent marker. Inside was a fire extinguisher, a couple of fire blankets, some rubber gloves, two metal mag light torches, and three of those respirator masks you see painters wearing sometimes. Suddenly the power dropped out and everything went dark. I fumbled through the tub in front of me blindly and felt for one of the torches. I flicked it on. Nothing. Batteries must have been flat. Fucking hell. I grabbed the second torch. The beam of light it threw on the wall allowed me to breathe again. I put the lid back on the tub and slid it away from the cupboard door with my foot. As I closed the door, the light of the torch came to rest on one of those break glass in case of emergency boxes hanging on the wall. Somehow I'd never noticed it before. Inside it was a big red button to manually trigger the fire alarm and a gleaming, silver-headed axe. Great, I thought. There's an axe hanging on the wall, but the fire extinguisher's in a locked cupboard. I raised the butt of the torch above my head, ready to smash the glass when the power kicked back in. The fluorescence flickering back into life. I froze for a moment and looked around the office again to make sure I was still alone. Then I heard a low, mechanical whirring sound. I realised it was the elevator. The glowing red numbers above the door slowly began ticking over. G for ground floor. One. Two. Three. I grabbed the plastic tub and ran over to the kitchenette. 
Under the sink was a small first aid kit, just the basics in a little red fishing tackle box. I grabbed it and scraped the contents of the snack shelf into the tub as well. Nine, ten, eleven. The elevator kept rising. It automatically opens on our floor because we're the last stop. I scrambled. Inside the fridge was a half-empty milk carton and a couple of 600ml bottles of water. I tossed them in the tub. Fuck. Time's up. The metal doors of the elevator clunked open. Inside, the body of a man lay on the floor. It was bloated like the ones I'd seen out on the street. Crouched over him was a tall, grey-haired man in a suit. The tall man was digging deep into the torso of the bloated corpse with both arms, reaching in up to his elbows and pulling out fists full of black, jellied viscera, then smearing them across his own face and body. I gagged. He hadn't noticed me yet, so I slowly stepped back, pausing at the axe still trapped in glass against the wall. Then the power dropped out again. There was a shuffling sound from the direction of the elevator, and then a rattling, wheezing cough which bounced around the blacked-out office. I dropped the plastic tub and swung wildly at the glass with the handle of my torch. My wrist slammed into the edge of the metal case. I winced in pain but swung again, this time shattering the glass. The light of the torch flickered a little as I ripped the axe from the case with my other hand and leant with my back against the wall. The coughing had stopped. I shone the torch around the office, the light sweeping across desks and cubicles. I couldn't see the tall man anywhere. The torchlight flickered a little and then went out. The impact on the case must have damaged it. I shook it wildly and then slapped it on my thigh. It sparked back into life, illuminating the thin frame of the grey-haired man standing right in front of me. My legs buckled a little with fear and I slid down a few inches as he drove his fist through the wall right where my face had been just seconds before. He growled and broke into a fit of coughing as he twisted and writhed around like a rabbit with its leg in a trap trying to free his arm from the hole in the wall. I crawled out from under him, swung the axe over my head and brought it down hard. It grazed the side of the man's head and ploughed into his right shoulder at the neck, cracking through his collarbone and burrowing several ribs deep into his chest with a sickening crunch. The axe slipped out of my hands and I dropped the torch as the man wrenched his body back and forth, a horrific choking cough trying to escape past the blood in his lungs. Then quiet. The fluoro lights above us blinked a few times, then woke up. The grey-haired man was still hanging from the wall by the elbow, bent over backwards awkwardly, with the axe sticking up in the air like Excalibur in the stone. I gagged again, and then vomited into a small bin next to the desk beside me. When I turned and looked up at the man again, his body had already begun to swell and puff up, viscous black liquid dripping from his mouth, nose, and the axe wound. I crawled over to the plastic tub, pulled out one of the respirator masks, strapped it over my mouth and nose and put on a pair of the rubber gloves. Not wanting to be in here when the lights went out again, I grabbed the handle of the axe and pulled as hard as I could trying to dislodge it from the man's swollen body. I had to wriggle the handle back and forth a few times before the bone let go of the blade. I stuffed the torch in my pocket, grabbed the plastic tub in my left arm, axe in the right and headed for the door to the stairs. I gently pushed the door open, wide enough for me and the plastic tub to fit through, and stepped as quietly as possible out onto the landing. I moved slowly up the first flight of stairs, but as I turned to start on the second, I heard the first cough. Distant, 
were growing in volume as it bounced off the hard cement walls towards me. Panic set in, and I started to run, my feet thundering on the stairs. The coughing increased in frequency and severity. There was more than one set of lungs down there making that sound. I looked up as I covered the last few steps in large strides. What the hell? The door was closed, but I'd left it propped open with a chair. I carefully balanced the axe on top of the plastic tub under my arm and dug into my pocket for the swipe card, my fingers feeling the hard edge of the plastic card behind the torch as the lights in the stairwell cut out, instantly plunging me into darkness. I was standing still, but there were footsteps echoing all around me. Whoever was coughing down below was on their way up. I dropped the plastic tub on a step as the grunting, coughing and snarling grew louder. Shaking the torch to get it to work, I shone it over the edge of the railing down the stairs to see what was coming. Several stories down, I caught a glimpse of an arm here, a shadow of a body there. No way of knowing how many of them there were. I tried pulling on the door handle, but it wouldn't budge. I banged the back of the axe head on the door, yelling out, Are you guys out there? Gina, I'm fucking trapped in here. Nothing. I thought about trying to hack my way through, but even if I could, there'd be no way of stopping these things behind me from joining us on the roof if I destroyed the door. I looked back at the contents of the plastic tub. Without properly forming a plan, I grabbed the fire extinguisher, pulled the pin, and quickly tied a rubber glove around the trigger holding it down. Spraying that white powdery dust out of its flailing hose, I dropped the extinguisher down the centre of the stairwell and switched off my torch. Holding my breath, I waited. It fell about two storeys before hitting a railing and clanging down the rest of the way to the basement level, hitting the floor with an almighty bang. There was gas in it still, and the sound of it spinning and bouncing off things down there kept going long enough to attract the attention of the others in the stairwell. I could hear their footsteps change direction as they headed downstairs to follow the sound. I slumped back against the door. The lights came back on, and at almost the same moment I fell backwards as the door opened from the outside. Gina stood above me, a worried look on her face. I grabbed the plastic tub and dragged it out onto the roof, slamming the door shut again. What the fuck, Gina? I left the chair there so I could get out. What? Why was the door shut? You were gone for ages, she said. We heard noises in the stairs. Bad noises. I, I panicked. Sorry, Tom. There's a, there's a kid up here. I pulled the respirator mask down under my chin and tried to settle my breathing. All I could think about was my own family. I prayed to anyone who was listening that they were home and safe. I just had to believe that that was the case and keep going until I got to them. I couldn't get stuck on what ifs. It's okay. You made the right call, I said to Gina. Those fucking things are in the stairwell. Right on cue, the door behind me shook as something smashed against it from the inside. We backed away. Sadia called out to us. Mr. Tom, Mrs. Gina. I dragged the tub over to the AC unit and pulled out one of the bottles of water, twisting off the cap, ready to hand it to Sadia's mother. But she was already gone. Sadia was holding onto her hand, but dropped it quickly as it started to swell up like a balloon. She pulled her son in the stroller, back a few feet, and watched in horror as her mother's corpse contorted before her eyes. The banging on the door to the stairs intensified.
is brought to you by Tailjar.com. Original score composed by Tailjar and Subgusto. Although this story is set in a real city, business names and certain architectural details have been fabricated to avoid comparison with any actual properties. For more information please visit tailjar.com forward slash terraforming. Copyright Jasper St. Auburn West, 2020. All rights reserved.